Seth Spins contains mild adult language. The views of the members of this podcast do not reflect the views of Viking Fusion or Viking Fusion staff. Viewer discretion is advised. Alrighty, everybody. Welcome back to Season 3, Episode 6 of Seth Spins. This is going to be the finale for Season 3. I have a very special guest today, uh, Annabelle Norton. Would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Just like name, major, what you want to do? Yeah, my name is Annabelle Norton. I'm a communications major with a concentration in public relations, and I'm a creative writing minor. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about a bunch of fun topics. I'm really excited to get into this. It's been a long time coming, uh, as Annabelle knows. Um, So today I've typed up some notes regarding Fleetwood Mac, uh, going a little bit into fan culture as a whole, talking about like the 1960s, going into modern contemporary versions. Um, And then also women leaders in music and talking a little bit about, you know, female writers and, you know, this resurgence Mm -hmm. that we're seeing. And it's just excellent all around. Yeah, absolutely. um, I guess we should just go ahead and start with Fleetwood Mac in general. Is there anything you just kind of want to throw at me? before we really get into the questions? Yeah, um, Fleetwood Mac is one of my favorite bands, so I know a lot of pretty fun and useless facts about them. I read Mick Fleetwood's autobiography over Christmas break in like two days. I think I read like half of it on Christmas, actually. Um, but I listen to rumors literally all the time. I started getting into more of their music like last semester, and it's just kind of an addiction at this point. I think their history is really cool, and just like the trajectory of their band over the course of like being active from the 60s to present is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess I'll just throw a couple of questions at you just to give you some guiding ideas before we really get into it. But um, as a band, Fleetwood Mac are kind of infamous for their tumultuous personal conflicts, as you both know. (laughs) So like Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham wrote Dreams like right after severing a like Mm -hmm. long-term relationship. And that ended up being this huge hit. I think it's their only number one hit in the United States. Mm Um, so they're also well known for hardcore drug, like studio sessions. Yeah. They were a wild <laughs> party pack of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do projects like Rumors and Tusk sort of reflect the infamous careers of those within Fleetwood Mac? Yeah. Um, Rumors and Tusk were definitely a turning point in the band because they'd been around since the sixties. They started out as Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac. Um, and that was their first album or that was the second one actually. Um, but it was a very bluesy sort of feel at first. Um, and because it was more like in the early 60s rock scene and Peter Green's obviously the leader of the band at the time. He's responsible for Black Magic Woman, who was uh, later covered by uh, Santana. Um, but let's see. So I'm like getting lost in my notes here. I took so many. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a very long trajectory in their style of music, and that just kind of happened as the band members kept coming and going. Um, you get Christine Perfect, who was eventually uh, Christine McVie. She was added for Future Games, um, originally only featured on Mr. Wonderful, and that was also the first album that had Bob Welch, um, who came and went because of some relationship problems as well, um, who left after Heroes Are Hard to Find. Um, which was the first one before Buckingham Knicks. But my favorite fact about Future Games is that's the first album to feature the Penguin iconography. Mm -hmm. John McVie was fascinated with penguins for some reason. He loved watching documentaries, taking pictures. So on the back of that album, everybody has like a little bio and a picture and his photo is a penguin. So later we see like the self-titled Penguin album. Um, But that album, even though it's not very critically acclaimed, I still really enjoy Future Games a lot. People think it's kind of meandering. 
um, stylistic-wise, but I really enjoy some of the guitar solos on it. It's really cool. And Christine, you can hear her sound come in with the keys and her lyric writing really starts to change the sound of the band, I think. Mm -hmm. Do Um, do you think Christine McVie is like a super important part of what makes Future Games sort of distinct from those other albums? I do, I do. She was playing in a band previously and she'd kind of been featured on Mr. Wonderful before, but you can definitely hear... Um, sort of the emerging sound in that album. You hear it in a lot of the more dreamlike sequences. Um, her lyricism is really amazing. Um, and just, it kind of becomes more dreamlike what you start to hear in Fleetwood Mac and Rumors later on than just um, the more like original, like hard and bluesy sound at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Would you say you prefer one sound over the other from the hard bluesy tunes to more so the pop balladry-esque sort of songs that sort of come up later with Rumors? Or do you like the experimentation that comes in with Tusk? I do like the experimentation that comes with all of them, I think. Um, you get a very different mix of artists and style with each album because they had band members come and go over the entire course of the band. So I really enjoy just kind of hearing kind of like the staple aspects of how each band member is so dedicated to whatever instrument they play. Um, but you also get these different changes in sounds depending on who kind of takes the lead with the album. Mm-hmm. So... How has reading the autobiography changed literally everything you've thought about the band? Because, I mean, I feel like that would fill in a lot of previous assumptions you've had. Mm -hmm. Because I I know you mentioned it before the podcast that that was a really eye-opening thing to read. Yeah, absolutely. How how has that changed your perception of the band? It was just very fascinating just getting to hear all of the behind the scenes. I feel like since Rumors is obviously their biggest album, I mean, it's record-breaking. It's like nearly unprecedented but there's a lot of history behind like behind the band and just behind that album that a lot of people don't know about so like I think one of my favorite anecdotes well maybe it's not my favorite because it's not great but they like had like a literal like like stack of beer cans and bottles just in the side of the studio and they would come in for like Fleetwood Mac and Rumors every day and just add to it and do coke Mm -hmm. and um there's just a lot of stuff like that like on tours I think Christine and Stevie would room together and they would make sure that the hotel room was painted pink before they went and um they required that like they would have like their own piano like come in to be in the hotel room and obviously pianos don't always fit through hotel hotel doors so they had to like make modifications and they like had like billions billions dollar tours um but that provided like a lot of context and then you just get like a lot of the details that feed into every album like uh, Fleetwood Mac, the self-titled, which is the first one with Buckingham Knicks. Um, it was like a really magical time, that, how they described it. Everybody was still married. Everybody was still together. Um, lots of drugs. They had the hits, Rihanna, they had Landslide. And then all that fell apart right before rumors. Um, John and Christine divorced after eight years. And then Buckingham Knicks mm-hmm. breaks up. And they were like a package deal. That's why they both joined. Um, and then Mick Fleetwood also went through a divorce with his wife. Um, I think that was like maybe the second or third one. Uh, divorce. Um, but that's kind of what drew drew people into the band. You get like this, uh, very messy dynamic of band members, but everybody stays together and there's a lot of loyalty there. Uh, they describe in the book, um, the chain being kind of like their rallying call and their anthem because they're loyal to each other and they don't break the chain. They stay together, like kind of no matter what happens. Um, and just seeing that trajectory, like for the first three albums with Buckingham Knicks is really interesting because you get... Fleetwood Mac, it's this, it's very dreamlike, um, it's a very different style than they had previously because you have these new dynamic band members, and then you get Rumors, which is insanely successful commercially, it's regarded as one of the best albums of all time, and you get to hear a lot of their strengths, like, right off the bat, and then you get Tusk, which is very interesting because that one's led by, uh, Lindsey Buckingham, he 
really liked the Talking Heads, and he was like, this is really cool. He saw them when they were touring for Rumors, and he was like, the next album, I think it's going to be double and very experimental. Do you um, know what era of the Talking Heads that he was sort of emulating or at least looking to? Was that, like, 77? Was that, like, mm-hmm. Remain in Light? Like, what era? Yeah, it's about? about that era. It was while they were touring for Rumors that they met a lot of bands in America because they did most of their touring in America at the time. Uh, but yeah, it definitely steers away from the old style a little bit. Um, but there's still like the staple personal stuff. Like Sarah is one of my favorite mm-hmm. tracks. It's it was originally 16 minutes, I think, uh, when Stevie first wrote it because she just mm-hmm. had so much to say. It's very personal. It's about her pregnancy with the Eagles, uh, Don Henley. It's about her affair with Mick Fleetwood at the time. He left her for her best friend named Sarah, and she was gonna name the baby Sarah. So it's a very mm-hmm. personal song, and you still get that amongst the very other experimental tracks on the album. Mm-hmm. It's interesting talking about Fleetwood Mac because they definitely come off as a lightning in a bottle type of group, mm-hmm. especially with rumors. I think that when everybody thinks of Fleetwood Mac, that's that's the album that you're going to yeah, think absolutely. of first and foremost, right? So it's really interesting to see because a lot of times when you look at a band that has a lightning in a bottle, best album, everybody kind of agrees thing. It's usually musical talent or it's mm-hmm. like this musical moment or just inspiration in the studio. But it seems like with Fleetwood Mac, it's the relationships that drive that sort of tenacity for Mm -hmm. creating just excellent, excellent music. If you look at the big hits, you look at Go Your Own Way, you look at Dreams, all of those are fueled almost chiefly by their relationships yeah. and like personal relationships it isn't you know a frank ocean kind of thing where you don't know what's going on yeah mm-hmm. it's it's fleetwood mac where you know exactly what's going on that's right, what yeah. makes it interesting mm-hmm. is like oh i know why that song's so interesting to me is because i know exactly what their relationship yes, is. yes exactly and it, mm-hmm. it really speaks to people mm-hmm. so i just i find that really really interesting with mm-hmm. fleetwood mac. yeah most of their songs are literally about each other they would like help each other write songs about the other people in the band mm-hmm. so uh, there was probably a lot of drama going on because they also used to all live together. I think it was Kiln House. That was before Buckingham Knicks, but they all like lived in a house in England and recorded together. Mick Fleetwood got married there. Um, but I think a big aspect of Fleetwood Mac is just the interpersonal relationships in the band and how that feeds into the music. Mm-hmm. And there's it's actually really funny. There are actually videos of them in the studio that yeah. are extremely interesting to watch because yeah. you can see the drug use. You can yes. see the tumultuous <laughs> relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember watching like a 30-second clip. And it's mm-hmm. just like... It's wild. To yeah, watch. It's, it's wild. Like, <laughs> I can totally understand how they made excellent music, but mm-hmm. wow, mm-hmm. how this band survived as long as it did. It's amazing. Even yeah. in, even the fact that it changed lineup almost every single time. It's still mm-hmm. amazing to see that they survived at all. Yeah. You know? I mean, it was it's the most 70s band I can possibly think. Yeah. Right? It's mm-hmm. it's, you know, cultural revolution in mm-hmm. a studio. It's yeah. amazing. Um, what else did you learn from the autobiography? I know there's there's a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, it was just mainly really cool to like study the whole trajectory of the band. I think we've talked about that a little bit because another album that came out shortly after that was Mirage. After mm-hmm. Tusk, they were like, oh, let's go back to the old formula. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's still a really great album. It was uh, pretty critically acclaimed. One of my favorite tracks is Hold Me. It's so good. Um, but that was also coming about at the time that Stevie Nicks was kind of going off on her own. She had just released her own solo album, which was doing really well. So I think mm-hmm. that also had something to do with is, the album being like popular. Is this like late? Is this like 80s, 70s? Yes, it's, I think it's 1982. Got it. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's 82. Because they, they sort of hit their stride and everything in like mm-hmm. the mid-70s sort of Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah. like kind of speaking of like the to the drug use and the relationships, um, their last like big studio album was Tango in the Night, 
and it was like not really done all together because it was hard to convince Christine and Stevie to come back. And so it was just kind of done in bits and pieces because it was coming out after Stevie Nicks had just come out of rehab after her, I think it was her second or third tour. Um, but she came and did Seven Wonders and Welcome to the Room, Sarah, which are so good. And then Christine was retired. She was back in England and they were recording in America. And she just wanted to mind her business and play with her dogs. I'm pretty sure that's what they said she was doing. But she came back and did Everywhere, which is one of their greatest hits. So just like seeing how they keep coming back to each other and they're just kind of like magnets. Oh, I just told did exactly what you told me not to do with bonking everything. Um, but just how they're like magnetized towards each other is really fascinating. And they're still like performing today together. It's interesting to see that Stevie Nicks didn't want to be associated with the band as much as she is now, because Mm -hmm. I feel like now when you see a public appearance from Stevie Nicks, it's, you know, almost as a harbinger for Fleetwood Mac, right? It's, you know, Mm -hmm. her entire, like, aura is Fleetwood yeah. Mac at this point if you have mm-hmm. her appear on like a TV show or I remember yeah. it was like I think it was American Horror Story or something yeah mm-hmm. in like, the coven season yeah and I was mm-hmm. like that's awesome it's yeah. definitely a Fleetwood <laughs> Mac thing more than anything else yeah like, that's mm-hmm. so cool um, yeah but yeah just super interesting to see that she didn't want to be part of that image for a while yeah mm-hmm. and I mean wasn't it pretty recently that she like actually made up with uh oh, what's his name I can't remember his name Lindsay? I think it was Lindsay. Yeah, yeah I, mm-hmm. think, I think Lindsay yeah. finally made up with her, which is just excellent to see. Because, it, yeah, mm-hmm. it speaks to what you were talking about with them, like, all staying together at the end of the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that their relationships were buck wild. So messy. So <laughs> messy. Because, yeah, they've been through so much at that point. Like, I think they're still collaborating and doing, like, performances today. But they've just, mm-hmm. I mean, they've done so much. They literally, like, bookended the Clinton campaign. Like, they yeah. played at his, like, I don't know if it was inauguration, but it was at the beginning. And then his going away ceremony they mm-hmm. played both yeah it's crazy that they were active for over 20 years for sure yeah mm-hmm. probably 30 yeah um as like an active band which is super interesting um do you have anything else you want to say on Fleetwood Mac I know it's your it's your favorite band I yes mean. I could literally talk about them forever which is why I was really excited to come on here I'm trying yeah, to see if I had anything it. else um but yeah Peter Green's pretty interesting because he left Fleetwood Mac to join a cult he, he, like, does not accept royalties from them anymore because he was, like, obsessed with the idea of, like, not having any earthly possessions. Like, he did not want any mm-hmm. money. Um, but he's the one who, like, really got the band initiated besides um, Mick and John. And they're also interesting because Mick was the leader of the band and he was the drummer, which is not super common. Um, mm-hmm. He's also the manager, which is also not super common. But Fleetwood Mac comes from the drummer and the bassist, which I feel is not um, something that you see every day. It's not. It's not. Um, I'm trying to see if I have anything else. But yeah, I just think that what I find most fascinating is just how they've stayed so successful and they've um, been such, they've like, captured the public eye for mm-hmm. so long and in so many different ways too, just like the way that they've grown as a band and just evolved is very mm-hmm. fascinating to me. It's, it's, we talk a lot about 70s bands that have rotating like leadership and rotating members, which is super interesting. You have bands like King Crimson, you have bands like yeah. Floyd, you have bands like Fleetwood Mac where... Every single album is a completely different cast, basically. Mm-hmm. But what makes Fleetwood Mac different is that the cast is integral to the yeah, music itself. You, if you listen to a King Crimson song, it doesn't really matter what the song's about if the song's mm-hmm. good. You don't care exactly who's playing it. You care about how good they are at playing it, right? Yeah. It's their musicianship that makes it interesting. With Fleetwood Mac, everybody's good every single time. Mm-hmm. It's what's going on in their lives that makes the mu- that yeah. fuels the, the music, yeah. fuels the fire. So mm-hmm. I think understanding and enjoying Fleetwood Mac is you have to know their backstory. I feel like I didn't get the same amount out of it Mm -hmm. before I figured out exactly what was going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, this happens with a lot of bands in the similar era, but especially with them. 
Yeah, it was just a group of very dynamic people. Everybody was very dedicated to not just the band, but just uh, whatever instrument they played, whether it be the voice, um, the guitar, the bass, whatever it was. Everybody was very skilled on a very individual level and very unique. Mm-hmm. Do you want to recommend some songs? Do you want to recommend albums? Like, what yes, I do. If you want somebody to get into Fleetwood Mac, mm-hmm. what do you throw at them to basically assure that they're going to like it as much as you are? Yeah, so I definitely did start out with Rumors. I know it's a pretty basic choice, but it is considered to be one of the greatest albums of all time, so i definitely throw that one out there good, first. Good jumping in point. Yeah, it's a very good jumping in point. I can't think, there's like not a skip on the album. It's mm-hmm. very beautifully crafted. I think, I love to talk about how artists like compose albums to work as a collective piece Absolutely. rather than just songs. That's another one of my favorite topics, but it mm-hmm. works very well as an overall piece and overall story. Do you, do you think they're very good at that? Like composing an album in terms yeah. of making sure that, you know, you have singles and deep cuts in like good orders mm-hmm. and making sure that people can enjoy it as a project rather than just yeah. as a collective of singles yeah and I think that works really well for them because I mean you go on Spotify and it's hard to find just a singular album because you get like the deluxe version and it has like all of the different cuts on it and those are really interesting to listen to as well you get a lot of like demos and a lot of just like jam sessions um but yeah that definitely does add to it do you do you think that they do that well with Tusk because that's a double album correct it is a double album and I and that's pretty... notoriously difficult yes and I'm pretty sure there is a deluxe version oh my <laughs> I'm like 100% sure it's like Spotify where they have a deluxe and then a super deluxe and mm-hmm. an ultimate deluxe and you're like what is yeah happening? and the remaster you yeah you <laughs> the original like, right exactly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's pretty much the case for I think every single one of their albums on Spotify yeah. But I definitely recommend, I think I have like a playlist of just the original rumors because I didn't want to listen to the whole thing. Except I added Silver Springs on the end because I can't listen to the album without listening to that song at the end. It's a perfect bookend to me. There there are definitely some albums where there's like a random B-side on the super deluxe version Mm -hmm. on Spotify. That's kind of necessary. Like I know with with, uh, In Utero by Nirvana, Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is a great album, but it needs Marigold for it to be complete. Right, yeah, exactly. Otherwise it's Mm -hmm. not a complete album. Yeah. There there are songs like that for me Yeah. Because I think I accidentally added it to the playlist and I was like wait it closes with Gold Dust Woman which is a great closer but Silver Springs is a really good send off I even think for better. the whole album yeah, yeah. it's even better yeah. I'm trying to think of what other order I'd go in because I think I jumped to Mirage next which I love Hold Me and Only Over You off of that album the album art is beautiful I have the I think it's the lavender print um, mm-hmm. the vinyl pressing which is just gorgeous I love playing that vinyl um, mm-hmm. and it works very well as a collective piece as well I really like the sound of it um, I really enjoy Future Games, like I said earlier. It's not every critic's favorite, um, and mm-hmm. I can see where they're coming from, but I do enjoy the sound of it a lot. If I'm trying to go for like the more early 70s vibe, I guess, mm-hmm. I really enjoy listening to that one. Sands of Time is really excellent when it comes to Chris on the keys. I really enjoy that one. And then Future Games, the musical bridge is amazing. I highly recommend that one. Dude, awesome. Fleetwood Mac's such a fun band, and I, I highly recommend yeah. anybody who's interested in not just, like, 70s music, but really just pop in general, because mm-hmm. they, they're they harbingers for the pop sound we hear today. I mean, mm-hmm. Fleetwood Mac predates Michael Jackson. They predate, you know, what we think of as, like, modern pop, but if you want to think of, like, rock pop sensibilities, I feel like that's a great place to start. Yeah, absolutely. If you're not going to the Beatles, I mean, where do you go after that? Mm-hmm. I think Fleetwood Mac's a good way to go about it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. What do, do you want to talk a little bit about fan culture? I do. Hit me with it. All right. So it uh, kind of like runs into it really well, what you just said there, because they were emerging at the same time as the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. They were playing um, on the similar scenes. I'm pretty sure, I forget if it was like his sister or his friend, but I know that Mick Fleetwood's 
I think it was her, his sister's friend actually dated George Harrison and like, they all knew each other. Yeah. They all knew each other. They all dated each other. Uh, Mm -hmm. she went on like the trip that inspired like him to become like a Hindu and everything, Mm -hmm. um, which was really cool. Um, but they were all involved with each other and it, but it didn't really matter at the start who you're going to go see at a club. You were just going to go hear some good music and, uh, bands like were a thing, but weren't really a thing. You had some staples and people kind of evolved in and out, but it didn't matter like about the individuals. But then the Beatles came and the Rolling Stones came and Fleetwood Mac starts to emerge and then they start touring in America and you get this crazy dedicated music fan base that you see today. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the British invasion that really starts mm-hmm. to pop. In, yeah, in absolutely. The Ameri- in the Americas. It's absolutely the British invasion. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, like 59, 60, 61. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw you a gu- guiding question just to sort of set everything yeah, absolutely. off. But, um, so the British invasion introduced this new concept of musical culture as like a fan base, like a yeah. rabid fan base for somebody that really enjoys an artist. Yeah. Concept coincides with the prevalence of pop music alongside the idolization of particular artists dating back to like the early 60s. So mm-hmm. you have the Beatles with like John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Yeah. Not so much Ringo Starr, sadly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the Rolling Stones with Mick Jagger. Mm-hmm. So how does the idolization of artistry affect said artistry? I think that's a really interesting question. To that talk is about. a really interesting question. You see that a lot today with like as somebody who does enjoy indie music. Mm-hmm. Um, you see like when an artist starts out small and then it gets bigger and then they have more fans, obviously, mm-hmm. and then people start wanting gatekeeping. yeah, gatekeeping, mm-hmm. wanting a certain sound. So that does affect the artistry. I think I have seen many bands start to change their sound depending on what the fans want to hear, which really sucks because mm-hmm. you don't get. Um, as on an authentic product as you want. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of defeats the purpose. That's a really good point, mm-hmm. yeah. But you definitely start to get gatekeeping from that, which is something I have a lot of thoughts about. Yeah. YouTube comments are terrible. They're That's awful. That's the worst place for it. Yeah, it's so bad. And it, you get that in, like, any um, fan base, I think, whether it be for a movie, a TV show, what have you, but it's especially mm-hmm. prevalent in music, especially today, I think. It's, it's really interesting to see the dichotomy where if you have a devout fan base from your very beginning, almost every single time they're going to say, oh, your first couple of albums are your best because they were mm-hmm. your most authentic. Yeah. But at the same time, the most authentic version of an artist is going to be what came out most recently. Right, exactly, because it's what, what they're, they're doing. Gonna, <laughs> like, like, the yeah. artist almost always defends their newest work and says, mm-hmm. hey, you know, I, I remember there's a, I think it's a Tyler, the Creator quote. I can't yeah. remember, but it's the one where it's like, why are you keep asking me about my old albums? Go listen to the old albums that are already there. Right, yeah. That's a very good example of gatekeeping. I didn't put that one in my notes, but I feel like Tyler the Creator is a very excellent a example. A really good example because of a fan base gatekeeping. It's so, it's so different bad. Different yeah. from now as <laughs> yeah. it was before. Very much. Almost completely mm-hmm. opposite, actually. I would um, say so, yeah. Yeah. Which um, I really enjoy pretty much like Wolf Forward. Oh, yeah. Um, we, we were going to talk about Wolf a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But it's there. That fan base is definitely interesting because mm-hmm. I mean, people. I mean, you should be able to listen to Flower Boy without people telling you that you can't enjoy it because you didn't listen to Goblin. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to Goblin. Yeah. <laughs> I also listen it's to, hard to yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of difficult. It's definitely hard to get into. I've listened to like Cherry Bomb and Wolf, but like I would say I listen to Flower Boy and Igor more than I do the other ones. Mm-hmm. When did you When did you start listening to Tyler? Oh, uh, probably a few years ago. I would say like. Mm, probably like 2018, 2018. 2017, okay. yeah. So, so was this like Flower Boy sort of it was, press release kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, it was very much like Flower Boy um, era. Yeah, era. Like Tyler the Creator was yeah. t- starting to change his scene. Um, I'm trying to think. Rex Orange County was also a big part of that era. Yeah, I think. Rex Orange County was mm-hmm. huge. That was a big Love part of that. Easy came out. Yeah, and everybody. Mm-hmm. 
flipped out. Yeah, that era was something. That was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I remember I had a friend in high school who was just a huge Tyler the Creator fan. Mm-hmm. I remember my brother was huge into like Goblin and Bastard, and I'm like, this is yeah. terrible. Yeah, I, it's I not for me. So <laughs> it's not great. And then in, in high school, my friend mm-hmm. was just a huge fan of Wolf and Cherry Bomb, and yeah. I'm like, this is different and it's better. Yeah. Still not my thing. Yeah. And then I remember Flower Boy's press run, and I was like, okay, that's the coolest album cover I've ever seen. It's at this awesome. Point in my yeah. Life. Um, I'm going to listen to this. And then the singles came out. I, I must have been like 17 at the time, mm-hmm. probably 17. And they came out with nine one one, Mr. Lonely, yeah. and mm-hmm. Who That Boy. And I was like, okay, Frank Ocean's my favorite artist at the time. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, I'm a 16, 17-year-old boy. That's <laughs> the best thing ever at the time. Yeah. Um, still kind of is. Um, but I was, like, infatuated with it. I thought that mm-hmm. was the best stuff coming out at the time. Yeah. And I was like, what is he doing that's making this so interesting? Mm-hmm. And then you finally listen to Flower Boy, and you're like, oh, he's reinventing himself. Yeah. He's, mm-hmm. he's becoming an actual, like, auteur at this point. Yeah. And you can see that now with Igor, that he's he's going into a completely unique niche. It's super interesting. Yeah, because you can start to hear the sound, and, like, I think Wolf and Cherry Bomb, you can hear sort of, mm-hmm. like, that evolving sound. You yeah. get more of the hip-hop and, like, the more, like, indie sound, mm-hmm. and you, it really, like, comes, um, like, under focus in Flower Boy, but you can definitely hear, like, on... I'm trying to remember the tracks. Smuckers, you can hear it a little bit. Yeah. There's a lot of, of the slower tracks on Wolf. Like, she kind of stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm, exactly. Well, it's really interesting, too, because I think he parallels Frank Ocean a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have Channel Orange, which is... Like, kind of experimental. There are a couple of tracks that are really fun and yeah. interesting, like Pyramids, mm-hmm. um, with storytelling. But it's it's Blonde that everybody's like, whoa, that's completely different. Yeah, it was, yeah. I remember the first time listening to it all the way through, because I love to sit down, like, with an album and just mm-hmm. listen to it all the way through in order. Mm-hmm. And that was a wonderful experience. It's It just works as a piece yeah. of art so well. It, it was actually, Blonde was my first, like, big album that I was like, whoa, I yeah. like music a lot. Mm-hmm. I think that happens for a lot of people my age and our yeah. age. But, like, for me, it was it was mind boggling at the mm-hmm. time still kind of is yeah absolutely I don't know how he made that yeah it's incredible it's it's amazing yeah I, I agree. remember I remember Siegfried came on I was like how do you even write this I know yeah I it's every track is so wonderful like the lyricism and just like the artistry of like the mixes are really something mm-hmm. it's what's what's your favorite song from Tyler the Creator I think that's a good question um I don't know it I guess it depends on the era and the album I really enjoy Boy is a Gun off of mm-hmm. Igor it, a it's choice. a very good storytelling song. Um, I really do enjoy that one a lot. I'm trying to think, because um, Igor's probably my favorite album. I also really enjoy uh, Fucking Young slash Perfect mm-hmm. off of Cherry Bomb. Oh, that song is amazing. And yeah. I think Hal Yukas is on that one. I might be wrong. I think that's the feature, though. I really do enjoy that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I really like about Tyler, the creator, is we talked about it a little bit before, but like the production, I think, is something you can really see happening on Cherry Bomb. Mm-hmm. And I think it's why a lot of people love that album so much yeah. is because coming from Wolf, coming from Goblin, coming from Bastard, yeah. the production is cool. And I mean cool in the most, like, boyish way possible. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. hard trap beat. You know, it's, yeah. it's just very, mm-hmm. like, you know, bass heavy, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. Yonkers. Is yeah. Like, it's a great song for mm-hmm. 2011, right? Right, it's, yeah. It's still, mm-hmm. like, a fun song. But mm-hmm. it's, it's absolutely, like, pun-based. I think of, like... 
early childish Gambino, right? Mm-hmm, where it's like, yeah. this is fun. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. I'll play sweatpants in the car, but it's not right, something that yeah. I'm like, this <laughs> right. is the pinnacle of mm-hmm. musical engineering. Yeah. But you get to, to Cherry Bomb and some stuff in Wolf, and you're like, he's doing something here, mm-hmm. especially with the synths, especially Cherry Bomb. Yeah. And then you finally get to that stuff, and it's like, wow. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I see where you're going with this. Mm-hmm. I, I almost want to see him produce for other people more. Yeah, yeah. There are a couple. He's done some... Uh, production for like Caliucas there are a couple tracks I forget which album it's yeah, off of yeah. and then he's featured on um After the Storm which is an yeah. excellent song That's his a feature great song. that his feature on that song oh my gosh the it's so good yeah it's iconic it's yeah it's insane with, it's with, so it's good it's Bootsy Collins isn't it yeah mhm oh my goodness yeah. That's a ridiculous song mhm one of my favorite music videos, actually. Oh, yeah. It's it's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I think we definitely idolize Tyler, the creator, to an extent. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know I've talked about this with several mm-hmm. other people on yeah. the podcast, but mm-hmm. Odd Future is such a huge collective yeah. for mm-hmm. our generation. Mm-hmm. I, I think of previous collectives and previous bands for other people, and I think for people that really grew up in the 2010s and really got mm-hmm. into music, I think Odd Future is such a huge yeah. like, focal point because... Mm-hmm. Obviously, hip-hop is sort of our big genre that we got yeah. in mid to late 2010s, but mm-hmm. Odd Future is that break-off for alternative and yeah. indie coming mm-hmm. from hip-hop, and I think that's yeah. such a huge, like, music nerd, like, yeah. point where mm-hmm. it's like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh, I love this. This is so good and so interesting yeah. at the same time. So catchy. Yeah, because Volume 2 is great. I really do enjoy that album a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, going back to idolization, we can still talk about Tyler with this, too. Yeah, I absolutely. Think a, <laughs> I think he's a great focal point for mm-hmm. it. Um, it. Definitely. How do commonplace movements within the new millennium, so like gatekeeping and cancel culture, mm-hmm. affect the role of an artist? It's definitely, I think I took some notes on just giving artists platforms and how that can be really cool or really dangerous. Because when you have a very popular artist and you kind of form a community around them, it's fun to share discourse, share opinions, uh, just be able to simply enjoy it together, like listen to it in the car, be have like a bonding moment, whatever uh, that the case may be. But then you get into the danger of, obviously we're talking about gatekeeping and how that creates a really toxic community. Like if you don't know this like minute fact or listen to the certain deep cut, like you can't be a fan people tell right. you you're not a fan um but also you get into the kind of cancel culture stuff where you have this artist with a huge platform and then they turn out to be like a shitty person and yeah. what do you do with that which happens way too often yeah i felt like during quarantine i would go on twitter every day and i would have to clean out my playlists yeah. again because it would be and like it's not that it is a big deal to me because you get emotionally attached to these artists yeah. and it's really hard to let them go but at the same time i don't want to give attention or money to somebody who's a bad person mm-hmm. Because I, I know we talked about gatekeeping a little bit, but I think cancel culture is just as, if not more, interesting, especially absolutely. right now. Yeah, with absolutely. With the Me Too movement and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What? How do you feel about the idea of separating an artist from their art? Um, I think it really depends. Because for me, like I remember I stopped listening to Mac DeMarco a while ago just mm-hmm. because of, that was some weird stuff. Yeah. Um, and there are just different cases of it. Um, I still listen to The Smiths. And I know a lot of people who mm-hmm. do. And I feel like that's a pretty good example of people actually being able to separate The Smiths and the artist um, mm-hmm. and the artistry from Morrissey. Who yeah. sucks? Who, who, um, who, like certified sucks. Who certified sucks? But it would suck also to let a lot of their music go. That's really good and a lot of um, mm-hmm. lyricism. So kind of being able to say fuck Morrissey while still like enjoying like yeah. this charming man is really nice. We, we can listen to Morrissey yeah. and also listen to JPEG Mafia tell him that he sucks. Like yeah. at the same mm-hmm. time, and that's fine. Yeah, you know. But like I think getting back to what you're saying about idolization, I think that is a dangerous thing because while you mm-hmm. do like want to have somebody to look up to as a positive role model, at the same time I don't want to be giving like a positive status to somebody who's 
a bad person. <laughs> yeah. And it's sort of something that's inherent in pop music. If you're mm-hmm. going to have pop music, you're going to have artists that people idolize. Otherwise, they're not going to be famous. So right, I think exactly. we're all guilty of idolizing certain artists. Oh, yeah, artists. I'm totally guilty of it. <laughs> I want to talk about who we idolize. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. a really interesting conversation. Yeah, mm-hmm. it definitely is kind of like a bonding thing for people because I know like mm-hmm. when I'm saying like oh I love this artist you'll be like oh yeah me too and then we listen to them in the car on all the drives and it's like mm-hmm. it becomes a foundation of memories conversations mm-hmm. discourse um I definitely am obviously a big fan of Fleetwood Mac which we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier um I love Phoebe Bridgers so I think I mentioned in my notes later um I love the band Peach Pit um Peach which is, is a pretty great. good example I love Peach Pit They're it's so good. yeah it's a good example of like um just a bonding moment because me and my brother really yeah. enjoy their music. We got tickets right before their tour was canceled. We got VIP tickets, and I was not refunded either. But I forgive them. It's fine. Um, but the their music has definitely brought us together, and um, I would really suck if they were canceled. I hope they don't. Um, but that is definitely an example of I am very guilty of idolizing a lot of artists because it's fun, and you want to have um, artists to look up to. There are a lot of positive role models out there. Um, so it really just, I think, depends artist to artist and people's different attachments to them. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely interesting uh, talking about whether you are idolize uh, like a band versus an artist because mm-hmm. there is a, the distinct difference between yeah, saying like, absolutely. like for example, for me, it's like, oh, I'm a huge fan of The Strokes. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, yeah. whatever. And I, I do idolize them as like great rock artists. Yeah. But still, there's a degree of separation from saying that I idolize a band because that usually connotes the music yeah whereas mm-hmm. if i say like oh i'm a huge frank ocean fan and i'm a huge yeah. weekend fan or something mm-hmm. like that yeah. it's like okay well are you idolizing them as a person is your instagram just constantly having that person come up right you know, exactly whatever? and it's like unavoidably yes it happens sometimes mm-hmm. yeah right? absolutely so it's, mm-hmm. it's just interesting to talk about like what point do you say like okay i can't look up this person or i can't listen to this person yeah. because it's getting too like I'm not listening for the music anymore, but for something behind the music. Yeah, absolutely. I feel Which like I that, think we're yeah. all guilty of. Yeah, that definitely has happened in a lot of cases. Like mm-hmm. when people were like getting canceled every other day, like during quarantine, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, I'll clean out my playlists. Um, but like sometimes you just do have like songs that you're very emotionally attached to, and in that yeah. case, put on a private listening session. Spotify does not pay their artists that much, anyways. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. that's really bad. Yeah. Um. But definitely try, trying to, like, mentally separate yourself from, okay, I don't idolize them anymore, but I should still be able to yeah. consume their music to some extent as long as I'm not like, oh, this person is great and I'm going to go support them and mm-hmm. give them my money and, like, visibly, like, buy their merch and, like, support mm-hmm. them or whatever. It's interesting, too. I, I tend to fluctuate to sort of cope with this kind of thing. Yeah. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. have, like, a moment where it's like, like, for right now, I'm like, oh, I haven't listened to Frank Ocean in a long time. Yeah, and now I'm like, absolutely. okay, I'm good to go again. I can listen right. to it again. Right, mm-hmm, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's a good album. Yeah, Ooh, absolutely. a lot. Yeah. Um, but there are other times where I'm like, oh, I'm not listening to this person at all, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's good for right now. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, there are different ways to deal with it. I don't know how you, how you manage to sort of vary things up a little bit. Yeah, I have talked to my friends a lot about how we change what music we listen to based on the seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, like, during the winter, a lot of Phoebe Bridgers punish her every mm-hmm. day. During the fall, it was more like Stranger of the Alps. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of more, like, slower acoustic music, like, during the fall and winter. And now I'm, like, back into, like, my indie pop bullshit for the yeah. summer. <laughs> like, yeah. I've been listening to a lot of SZA. I've been listening to Tyler, the Creator again. Um, I'm trying to think of what else I've been listening to. Smino's really good. Every summer I get back into him and I love that music so much. It's very nostalgic for me. I I, I get really nostalgic in the summer. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of like fun hip hop. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Cloud rap stuff sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I listened Mm -hmm. to when I was 16 
fucking 17, right? Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, you know, Playboy Cardi might make it in there because five yeah. you know, years ago, that's what I was listening to and that's yeah. what I think of, you know? Yeah, I feel like every summer I go back to listening to what I listened to when I was, like, 16. Yeah. And that's, like, a lot of, like, Claro and, like, early, like, when mm-hmm. indie pop was really, like, and bedroom pop especially was becoming yeah. popular. One of my favorite bands from back then. And they're starting to get popular again now, especially thanks to, like, social media, but Beach Bunny. Um, Beach Bunny's so good. They're so good. They're underrated, too. They're very underrated. I'm so glad that we can talk about them because I adore them. They're Their lyricism. Fun fantastic a honeymoon is one of my favorite albums of all time it's so good it's amazing it's and so i feel good. like they were really under they're still underrated despite having like two popular tiktok songs mm-hmm. they are criminally underrated to me in Absolutely. like their artistry i think they're a really good way to transition into our, our last big topic yes. which is sort of women leaders um i'm gonna throw the guiding question at you just to mm-hmm. foster conversation yeah So the music industry is particularly remarkable for amplifying the voices of women within our unfortunately patriarchal society, Yeah. right? (laughs) So how do particular bands resonate with this notion? Um, I think, like we were talking about earlier, Fleetwood Mac is a great place to start. You get the introduction of Christine. We talked about how she changed up the sound of the band, and then you get Stevie Nicks, which is, I mean, you don't have to say say much about that. She definitely transformed the band uh, with Mm -hmm. Lindsay. Um, but you get these very dynamic, powerful uh, women added to these bands, and then they start um, coming into the culture because you can see, like, just looking at the history of music, it's very male-dominated, mm-hmm. um, whether it be bands, uh, managers, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right now we're seeing a huge resurgence of female writers. Yes, female writers, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, like, really empowering stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember, um, I think it's Kiss Me More that just came out with Doja and SZA, I love and like, that song. I love that song. With that song in that yes. video, because it's, mm-hmm. it's such an empowering and like fun tune. it's so good i know people like joke about like oh like it like you playing in target i don't care i will literally be dancing in target it's literally i love that song so it, much it just goes so hard it's so good i don't know what they put in it but it's so good it's, it's some fleetwood mac type shit literally like, yeah it's so <laughs> it's good studio writing hit. yeah mm-hmm. um but yeah i just feel like uh in the community it's starting to change a little bit as well because i know like i like i'll wear like whatever like a rolling stone shirt and a man will be like oh like do you really listen to them like name yeah. 10 songs the, and that gets the, back to the, like do you even know three nirvana songs yeah right exactly it's like yeah. getting back into like the gatekeeping thing and mm-hmm. that's very frustrating um and i think that's also like not just like with gender but also with age mm-hmm. um but i am a big obviously a big fan of women in music uh, a mm-hmm. lot of my favorite bands are led by women you got the cardigans cranberries mm-hmm. sundays Ten Thousand maniacs um is one of my favorite bands um, who partnered with R.E.M. a bit, which is another one of my favorite bands. Um, but I just think women being established in the industry is so important, and you're starting to see a, l- a lot more of it now, as we said. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, I think it was the first year was last year where, like, the top five chart mm-hmm. singles were all duos of women, was it? I think it was, it was something, something like that, that. yeah. It was yeah. really mm-hmm. interesting where it yeah. really showcased this complete subversion of what it used to be, which mm-hmm. is just so, so interesting, because it used to be back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, it was always bands. Yeah. And then we mm-hmm. get to artists, and it's always male-dominated for, like, the last 20-something Right, years, exactly, which is ridiculous. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're finally getting to a point with this decade, which mm-hmm. I think is specifically this decade, which is really interesting. Yeah, Something mm-hmm, new absolutely. that didn't come from the last decade. We're finally mm-hmm. getting to a point where you can see a difference. Yeah. But I think, like, a female-dominated music industry is coming, and that's really, really interesting. It's really cool. And, like, obviously, like, talking about, like, contemporary examples, um, there are, like we were saying, there's, like, a resurgence, but there are a couple examples of how it's still not great that I had written down. Mm -hmm. Uh, My first one was Taylor Swift. I feel like you can't talk about women in the contemporary music industry without talking about Taylor Swift. She has 11 Grammys. Mm -hmm. I think she's the 
first are definitely one of the only people to have three albums of the year. And mm-hmm. she has 41 I think, nominations. I think, yeah. the only one. I think so, yeah. yeah. And she has 41 Grammy nominations and like 95 songs on the Billboard 100 and like five number ones. Yeah. And people still shit on her all the time. All the time. For like no reason. And mm-hmm. she's like been under fire for like almost everything that she does. And I feel like. If she was a guy, it wouldn't be. It would not be like that because you see guys putting out like the most mediocre stuff and it's fine. But then she'll literally do anything and people uh, just put her under fire. She's one of the most decorated songwriters of all time. Yeah, of all time, not just like in the modern age. She doesn't really have the same kind. She definitely has a fan culture. She definitely has an idolization. Absolutely. (laughs) But it's not in the same way Mm -hmm. that an Ariana or a Doja or a SZA has it. Yeah. It's almost all for songwriting. Yeah. That's really mm -hmm, interesting. Because her lyricism is literally unparalleled. It's It's it's, so amazing. It's such a different kind of idolization Mm -hmm. that I don't see almost any other artist having right now yeah like mm-hmm. i know i know with a lot of people it's like oh my gosh i love this artist i'm gonna like all yeah. her posts on instagram it's a very different matter with taylor yeah. swift it's like i love her songwriting she mm-hmm. speaks to me and that's yeah i think that's a nicer way of doing yeah. things because like getting back to fleetwood mac it's all very personal like you can look up like on genius lyrics or like in interviews and most of her songs are about somebody and you know what happened and i think that really speaks to people and it's she writes it all herself she does all herself and like also like with fleetwood mac Fleetwood Mac, it crosses genres. Like, every album is a different era. And they're all so insanely popular, but people still criticize her all the time. Like, whenever she took her music off Spotify for mm-hmm. ethics, people were mad. Yeah. And then there was the Adele whole... did something like that, Yeah, too. Mm-hmm. And then there was the whole thing with her management change and how awful mm-hmm. that was. And still people... <laughs> yeah. People are still merciless with her, and she's literally one of the most prolific artists, I think, of our generation. Yes. She probably is the most prolific artist of our generation. She's very close, if not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's there's a case study I want to go into because I think you're you're a great person to talk about this mm-hmm. because it involves Phoebe Bridgers. But do you remember a month or two ago when she I was think on SNL? I literally am looking at my notes for this right now. Yeah, That's so, so crazy. So <laughs> what happened for people that are listening mm-hmm. is that Phoebe Bridgers goes on SNL as the musical art like guest artist, mm-hmm. and she is playing. I think it's I know the end. Is that what it is? I know the end. Yeah. I know the end, which is her second song of the two song set, mm-hmm. and uh, it's one of these songs that crescendos and crescendos and crescendos. Yeah, it's insane. Like, explosive conclusion. Mm-hmm. And she starts smashing her guitar on one of the little things at the front of the uh, Mm -hmm. stage. And then what ended up happening was that people got really, really angsty and angry in, like, the most annoying way possible. Yeah, it was so bizarre when it happened to me. I was like, what is the big deal? I was so confused. People were getting mad that she didn't smash her guitar hard enough. Really? Do you you remember this? It was was a huge mm -hmm. thing that happened where people were like, why is she smashing her guitar? You know, it wasn't even that that good of a song or whatever. And I'm like, this is the worst thing I've possibly ever Yeah, the whole thing was so bizarre because, Mm -hmm. yeah, I literally had notes written down for this. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Because some people were also mad that she did it in the first place. They were like, why did you need to do that? It's expensive. Guitars Mm -hmm. are sacred. Because because later what happened is that she auctioned the guitar, Mm -hmm. which is super interesting. Yeah, um, because, like, the precedent for that is, like, Jimi Hendrix and, like, Kurt Cobain did it, mm-hmm. and everybody was like, okay, and it's, like, a stereotype now to do it, basically, but everybody was so mad. I think it was David Crosby from mm-hmm. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. They had, like, discourse on Twitter. Which is um, so funny. That's just a yeah. funny... And he <laughs> was like, oh, like, it's so unnecessary, it's so pathetic, so emotional, and she was like, little bitch. Like, I think that's literally yeah. what she said, and I was like, yeah, because it literally was under fire for no reason, and yeah. I, it was just so silly to me. I was remember being so confused. I was um, pissed. I was so mad. Yeah, it was so I still am. odd. It's so frustrating because she literally like had a conversation with the guitar company before, and they were like, yeah, mm-hmm. good luck. It's like one of the hardest to break, and it was like a fake 
um, audio equipment that she smashed it on. Mm-hmm. It was like not a big deal. It was like pre-planned, part of the stage performance. It was, it was Saturday Night Live. It was yeah. pre-planned. <laughs> right. And it's like, I know the end. It's like the apocalyptic end to her album. Mm-hmm. And like, again, this, yeah. is, this is one of those things where if a male artist did it, it would have been nothing. Yeah, it would have not broken the no news. No one would have yeah. said a word. Exactly. And I, exactly. I think that's really important to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. I just, it was so bizarre to me. Because I was like, is this not a stereotype that, like, a lot of dudes do all the mm-hmm. time in a rock lot. music? <laughs> like, literally a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we're talking about women artists and women leaders in music. Mm-hmm. Give me give me some bands that you really, really like. And you can just rapid fire this. I mean, oh, yeah. Anything I think, that you like, just throw it at me. Yeah, I mentioned them earlier. I really love, like... 90s mid-90s uh bands led by women i love the cranberries mm-hmm. they're zombie is such a killer song. zombie's so good when you're gone is one of my mm-hmm. favorite tracks i forget what album it's off of it's not um their biggest one linger dreams great songs if you're trying to get into them mm-hmm. uh the sundays are really great i don't know a lot of people who uh listen to them mm-hmm. but it's a female band from the 90s um i really I enjoy yeah i really enjoy two of their uh more successful albums um uh, Here's Where the Story Ends is one of my favorite songs. Just have a lot of memories connected to that. Uh, when I'm Thinking About You is another great one. I think, I forget which one was off of Static and Silence and which one is off of Reading, Writing, and Arithmetic, but they're both really good. And then 10,000 Maniacs. I'm a huge fan of them and Natalie Merchant. Mm-hmm. Uh, their writing is just amazing. Cherry Tree is my favorite song by them. It's just phenomenal. The lyricism is great. The music, the imagery, it's wonderful. Awesome, awesome. Uh, do you have any closing remarks before we wrap things up? Um, I don't know. Uh, listen to uh, music by women. Listen to Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I guess not. <laughs> yeah. um, I really enjoyed talking today. It was really fun. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, and if anybody's interested in some of these songs, there's going to be a, an associated playlist. It's yeah, the absolutely. same graphic. I mean, it's easy to find mm-hmm. on Spotify. Yeah. Uh, I usually drop two or three songs from the podcast Sweet, that are yeah. mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so if you're interested in that, go ahead and check it out. But otherwise, thank you so much for coming on. This has been super fun. Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Alrighty, this has been season three, episode six of Seth Spins with Annabelle Norton. Thank you once again. Um, and this is actually the finale for season three. So expect greatness next season. And thank you guys so much for watching. Have a good rest of your day. <laughs>